Adventure scents are scent special effects for your games, books, movies, and costumes. They are especially useful for adding immersion to tabletop RPGs. Adventure scents come in over 60 funky fragrances that are all based on common adventure locations, from an enchanted forest to a moldy crypt. Visit www.adventuresense.com. That's adventuresense, S-C-E-N-T-S, dot com. As always, I don't exactly have the countdown yet for when I hit the button and when we go live, but by this point, we should be live, so hello. Yeah, it looks like we just popped up. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast, YouTube, Twitch stream thingy. Uh, I am Michael. You can find me on the Twitters at the RPG Academy, and tonight we are going to be doing faculty meeting 123, Lessons Learned from Video Games. With me tonight, I have a special guest co-host. We've been on very recently, so you should already know who he is. But in case you don't, this is Tanner, uh, who is the GM of the Shadow of the Cabal podcast. Tanner, welcome back to the faculty meeting. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's a fabulous evening, and I'm ready to get into the the topics today. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Some stuff I'm pretty excited about. <laughs> yeah, there are a ton of announcements, uh, and you know, there's always a, a little bit of tang of of guilt because I know there's a lot of people who do care about a catacon, but of our listeners, most don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do apologize. There will be some Akatacon talk here in a minute, uh, but we have actually a couple other announcements we need to get to uh, even before that. Uh, the first one, a little bit of a dour note, but some of our regular listeners may have already noticed that uh, the Caleb G himself, my usual co-host, has not been as active recently. Uh, if you weren't already aware, he recently got a new job. Uh, promotion there's a lot more work a lot more hours and in addition he and his wife are expecting their first waggling uh early well uh, later this year but early this year uh so he's taking a sabbatical he's he's faculty he's going to take some time off and just not have to worry about the stress of when he can when he can't going to take take some time get the job in line get the kid going and really hopefully it won't be that long before he's back um, though I will admit there is a bit of tang of, of remembering how Evan was only supposed to go away for a little while and <laughs> five years later still gone. But I have confidence that Mr. Caleb G uh, will come back and I certainly wish him the best with a new job and him and Tressa the best with the, the kid. It's, it, you know, I, I got two myself. I didn't think I would ever have kids. I said I would never have kids. I said I didn't want kids. Now that I have kids, I can't imagine life without them. Uh, but they do take up a lot of time. Yeah. Good luck and congratulations, Caleb. Fantastic. Uh, So some other more exciting news. Uh, We got some network news. Uh, Mostly these are just making things that probably people didn't even know were official, official. Uh, But we are expanding the network officially. Uh, We are bringing in the Lawful and Orderly podcast, which which is basically made up of already people on the faculty, which is why it probably is more of an official thing, you know. Um, mm, but nepotism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but if you're not aware, this is the show that Andrew and Scott uh, started. Uh, it's on Twitch Monday nights. It's a sort of a very loose improv freeform version of a police procedural set in a magical world of Lan Arcanum. Uh, they are the 
lawful and orderly special special victims unit or special visions unit. That's right, because yeah, they have like they can see into the future type of thing. Uh, it's a great show. It's a lot of fun. So they are officially now a part of the network uh, with all the rights and responsibilities therein, which is not much. We get uh, rights. Uh, well, more responsibilities. The rights oh, are okay. zero. The responsibilities are many. I think that's how that works. Gotcha. Um, and then also Gamer Stable. Um, Eric and his sort of offshoot um, openly gamer theater has been a part of the network for several years now. Uh, with the return of Gamer Stable, we are going to absorb them into the network as well. So Eric et al. and all the 14 people who are, are <laughs> normally on that show uh, are all now officially part of the network and uh, faculty here. And hopefully we will continue to see more and more crossover with uh, all our various shows. And we do have a couple other shows and sites that we are still looking at evaluating. Um, but I can't, I don't know right now if we have anything close, but there are some things we're looking at. So sure, yeah. anything from you before I get to the other stuff that no one cares about? Yeah, um, I think you already know to know about this. We talked about it privately, but um, this is a little exciting. We have recorded we have recorded the finale of our campaign for Shadow Ooh. of the Cabal. Yeah, it is coming very soon, um, probably sooner than every, everybody imagined. Um, but I don't want to get into details about it, but um, this isn't going to be the end of our show, obviously. We're going to be uh, picking up some new games over the summer and uh, launching into a new campaign in L5R in the fall, probably. But um, we are going to be sort of wrapping up our story pretty quick here, and um, I think it's just been awesome. I mean, I think it's been close to a little bit over a year since um, we started the show, and it's just been such an awesome ride and getting to meet so many cool people in the RPG Academy and fans and patrons and stuff so it's it's it, i'm i'm really excited i used to be one of those people who would fast forward through all the Academy talk and I, when i listened to the rpg academy i'm like who cares i'm not yeah. going to this. Yeah. now i'm pumped for it so it can happen to you too listener that is right and it's funny i um i have recently been going back and re-listening to all of our old original dungeon talks which then became table topics which are now faculty meetings uh for reasons i've been going back and listening to all of them and kind of doing some almost like a play-by-play -play, like on twitter like if I, something is interesting or is like oh that's the first time this person's been part of the show uh it's it happens a lot that people who have written into the show end up being on the show yeah uh, matthew sent in a couple emails he's now part of the faculty caleb he contacted me out of the blue one day. So like, Hey, can I write some articles for your side? I, I do D and D stuff and I don't have anywhere to post. I'm like, okay. He became the co-host and, uh, and just on and on and on. Andrew was one of the first people who sent us in questions and that was years later, but he's now part of the, the faculty as well. So, um, if you like a podcast, email them. Yeah. And you know what, if, if, if they're the size that we are, you know, you have a good chance of making it on one day. Like, uh, our, our good friend, Amelia, who is now going to be joining the show. She started out as a fan and then we met up with her at a catacon, played games and stuff and said, Hey, you want to come on and do this? With us? She said, yeah. So it's, it's just that easy. Just pester them until they let you on. That's right. Uh, yeah. I do, a little quick apology. I do. I'm still getting over a cold. I actually missed work today. I wasn't feeling well. So <clears throat> I may be doing that a lot and I've redecorated. Uh, you may notice that my tapestry is hanging a little bit more straight than, than it has been. It's, it's been. Everything has been redesigned. But unfortunately, my, my control panel is now just out of reach. So for mm. me to lean over and to hit mute before I cough is a little bit more awkward now. Yeah. So I may just turn away from the microphone. I, I haven't rearranged. You can still see my pile <laughs> of board games and card games and dice right there. So uh, next time I come out, I'll have a green screen set up and everything. I'll be oh, ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so one other announcement before we get to the catacomb stuff, and then I'll try to get through it as quickly as I can, though there is a lot of it. 
Uh, the GM Masterclass continues to come out. Uh, there are there will be eight episodes. The fifth episode came out this week. The last episode is a two-hour oversized spectacular. I looked at cutting it, and I just I don't think it needs cut. I think it's all it all is part of the same conversation. Um, but once it comes out, Jim and I want to do a live Q and A and give people who listen a chance to ask us questions, follow up, or whatever. So we're going to wait two weeks after the last one airs to give people time to catch up. So on March 7th, on what will be our normal Wednesday night live show, like we're doing now, it will be the live Q and a with Jim and myself. So if you have questions for us, uh, please join us for that show, listen in, or you can email them. If it's something you can't join us live. If you email me in questions at the RPG Academy, gmail.com and just label the questions as something GM masterclass. So I'll be able to filter them properly we will do our best to approach all of the, all the questions that we can get answered in probably one to two hours. Oh, and I have questions, Michael. I have so many beefs. No, I mean, I I feel bad that I, I, Twitter has a a great way of starting a conversation between two or three people that drags in 16 other people. Yes. Yeah. And not that I don't love reading everybody's lovely opinions, but I should have uh, maybe picked a better platform for that, (laughs) for that feedback. Yeah, well, but I, but I think that's fair. And again, I, we're not going to rehash all of that here because uh, I'm sure we will we will talk on it when we get to the Q and A. I'm sure that'll be a section. Mm-hmm. But that the the thing that you're talking about, we knew would be controversial. Like we we knew when we recorded it, we looked at each other and said, "This episode is going to cause some heat." Uh, <laughs> all you got to do is spend five minutes on Reddit or Facebook D and D forum, and you're going to have the conversation. Is does fudging dice as a GM make you a cheater? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's like politics and religion. There's people on both sides and they don't like each other. And that's just the way it's going to be. Mm -hmm. But to Jim's credit, he knew that that was going to be something that might cause people to reevaluate that whole series, which is frankly a beloved series by a lot of people. And now to have some of the smoke and mirrors explained, you know, it might cause some reevaluation. So we knew that, but we both think it's valuable information. So I don't disagree with you. But I still hold that the advice we give is important advice that should be given, whether it should be received or not, is up to the individual listener. Absolutely. And like I (laughs) said before, like, obviously, you guys did your L5R story one way. We did ours the other way. We're both herding goats on the same side of the hill here. You know, there's no no reason for us to beef anymore. But I mean, obviously, like what you demonstrate is that you can have radically different approaches to things and still make an awesome end product. Yep, absolutely. And uh, we do want to continue the GM Masterclass. It is it's something that I, I've wanted. It was actually, I mentioned I'm going back and re-listening to some of the old episodes. It was literally four years ago was the first time I said, you know, I'd really like to do a director's commentary AP track. I think that would be a cool fun thing to do. Four years later, we're getting around to it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the original plan was to do the first L5R series and then do the second one. I'm starting to think I might want to bring in a different perspective before that. Uh, Yeah, a different L5R series that you can... (laughs) (laughs) But but maybe a different uh, perspective. I mean, not just just that particular thing, but uh, a different type of game, a different system, just, you know, different personalities and and, uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. I think that might be valuable. So we've been lucky enough. We had several other APs already express interest. You know, it might just be like in passing on Twitter, but there seems like there's other APs that are interested. And certainly there are people in our network that I would love to have on as well. Uh, we are open to doing that, but I, I've got to put together a list. There's going to be 
I mean, some of the requirements, you know, there has to be something that we're going to talk about. It can't just be, hey, you know, I want to do it. What, which episode? Why that episode? There, you know, there's going to be some conversation, that kind of thing. Uh, but that is something we're looking at doing. I'm probably, when I have time, going to type up almost not an application, but like a list of bullet point facts and post that on the website. So if people are interested, they have the information to make an informed decision. Yeah. I mean, I like, like a lot of people have been saying, I think it's a awesome idea that I haven't seen a lot of people play with. And I think it's the more different perspectives that you can get in on those types of things and the more different ways that you can see people do their thing is, uh, is always going to be better for the audience. And there, there's a part of me and we've said this and it was kind of Michael's personal philosophy, but also on the podcast that I think there's a lot of value in seeing failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like for someone to step forward and say, Hey, I did a terrible job in this particular episode or this particular moment. And maybe that's what we focus on that episode is what I did wrong. And I probably can find some examples in our own AP. I just, I kind of felt like I shouldn't do our own, at least not this early. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do think that would be something very valuable is when I screwed up, what happened? How did we fix it? You know, what happened next? How did I recover? So on and so forth. But I think that would be valuable lessons. I've actually done something similar. Um, I'm going to plug a podcast that isn't part of our network. So no, no affiliation here, but um, there is a, a podcast that I listen to. I'm a big fan of called RPG lessons learned. And they were um, kind enough to have me on a couple months ago. And their, their whole sort of spiel is similarly talking about, Hey, this is our session and we we're going to honestly critique ourselves about it. And I went on and I talked about the most disastrous recording session of Shadow of the Cabal I ever had and digging into all the different things I did wrong and, and the in-game and out-of-game drama that sort of stemmed from that. So if you want to hear that from my point of view, it, it is out there. Go listen to RPG Lessons Learned. It's, some, it's in their feed probably around halfway through. All right. Very, very cool. So with all of that out of the way, let's get to the Acaticon announcements. Uh, I, I know there's at least a couple people who are truly interested. Um, and again, we, I will get this written up. It'll get posted pretty quickly. Hello, Cat. Podcat. Oh, she doesn't <laughs> like it. So uh, we were finally able to finalize the negotiations with the DCC. Uh, neither one of us is very happy. So I think that means it was probably pretty successful negotiations. Uh, but we are going to go back to the DCC. It will be the same weekend again, so Veterans Day weekend uh, for this year, which means the uh, November 9th, 10th, and 11th, uh, with the VIP event also happening on the 8th again, the Thursday night before. We are going to partner with the Crown Plaza once again. So once... Oh, sorry. Somebody popped up a chat and I got distracted because I have Uh. ADD. so we're going to partner with the Crown Plaza again. Uh, so there will be an Acaticon block. That's one thing that hasn't, like, I was waiting until I got back from the DCC, so I haven't had a chance to actually email them and say go. So the so the block isn't set up yet. So if anyone's really excited wants to go reserve a room tonight, don't. Uh, give me at least a few hours tomorrow morning to get that set up. Uh, I'm going to try to get a, a Catacon, um code that you can put in if you do it online. Last year, mostly I had to call. Uh, but it should be basically all of that should pretty much be the same. Uh, this year, though, Veterans Day actually falls on a Monday, uh, which means I'll have the Monday after off, which will be nice because that's the first time ever I haven't had to immediately go back to work. <laughs> I think every attendee is going to be happy about that. <laughs> Mostly, I would say as well. Uh, yeah. But there are uh, there are going to be a few changes. So on Friday, we're going to try to get started as early as 7 a.m., like just getting there and starting to set up. 
So we'll start registering people as soon as we're physically able to. So it might be like 7.15, 7.30, but we're going to start registering as soon as we can because the goal is to start games at 10 a.m. this year rather than noon uh, because we have to be out earlier. We will no longer be in the 24-hour uh, event hall, at least not unless we just get ridiculous support money-wise because it's very, very expensive. It's several thousand dollars to keep it open 24 hours Friday through Sunday. Uh, so the thing is we're going to close at 11. Everyone actually has to be out of the building by 1130 or I start getting charged by the minute. So bad. So 1130, everyone has to go. We'll reopen at seven o'clock the next morning. Uh, though, again, we probably won't have any games that officially start till nine. But if you want to come in and start hanging out, you can do that as uh, seven. Um, <clears throat> so we are going to do a Kickstarter Again, uh, sort of a hybrid thing because we need money for the deposits. That's always been the big uh, speed bump for us is that we have to put several thousand dollars down early in the year to actually reserve that room. So we are going to launch a Kickstarter on March 14th at 9.15, which will be during a live one of these shows. So basically right now in that show, we're going to hit the big green button on the Kickstarter and talk about it while it goes hopefully crazy. But the Kickstarter is going to be very limited. We're, the only badges that we're selling through the Kickstarter are VIP. That's it. The GM badges, the player badges, all that's going to happen later through Eventbrite. Only VIP badges will be going through the Kickstarter. There's going to be more of them available this year. We're going to do 25. Uh, and the price is going to be a little bit higher. But I'm, I'm working on getting some cool stuff to give to the VIP. So hopefully no one will complain. I don't think so. They sold out last year in a nanosecond. I think we'll be okay this year uh, selling out the 25. And then we're going to do the special T-shirt again. So I'm wearing, and an honor, I have last year's Kickstarter exclusive T-shirt. We're going to have a new Kickstarter exclusive T-shirt you can only get if you pledge to the Kickstarter. It's going to have a new logo, which I've already seen the 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 pencil drawing. It's it's awesome. Uh, okay, there's been some debate amongst the Shadow of the Cabal people. Okay, what is the, what is the symbology? Why are, on the one that you're wearing? Why is it fighting a bird? I don't understand this. Uh, okay, so I don't know if I can try and get this on camera. So the uh, so the joke was the first year we did this officially, we made a, a real big thing. We went to the lodge out in Houston Woods in Oxford, which was the first place that we did this event. And there were bleeping vultures everywhere. And I'm not kidding. Everywhere. Hundreds of them. They were just all over this creepy lodge in the middle of this National Forest Park. And it was just this big thing. And we would ask people about the vultures and they're like, oh, no, they're well fed. And then we're like, wait, what does that mean? Uh, okay. Exactly. So it kind of became the joke that the vultures were going to carry people away. So when we left the lodge, the joke kind of became we were leaving the vultures behind. Gotcha. So okay. this was symbolizes the fact that we were able to successfully raise enough money and have a successful event that we didn't have to go back to the lodge. The vulture represents a smaller catacomb. This is some deep RPG Academy lore we're getting uh, right now. You have to be there for the whole thing. Like this is an right. inside joke that's inside an inside joke. Yeah, I, we got to open up the grimoire, record that one. <laughs> so, so we got a new t-shirt that'll go through there. But the majority of what we're going to look for are sponsorships. So again, we'll have the table toppers, which we've done every year, twenty-five bucks if you. Um, you know, have a podcast or game store or just, you know, I've had people YouTube channels. Some people just bought it for a friend and let them put their stuff on there. Uh, but basically it's 25 bucks and we're, we have like a hundred tables this year. I, we've sold out of those every year. So I think we'll sell out of those again. We're gonna have corporate sponsorships again. Uh, so for like 150 bucks, you get 
table toppers on the registration. You get two badges, which is, you know, basically almost like a hundred dollar value. So hopefully we will do the same, like our budget's based on duplicating what we've done in the past. So I would assume those will go, go fairly quickly. And then we're going to have a couple uh, donation levels. There's obviously the, just because someone wants to give you a dollar donation level. Uh, then we're going to have the game library donation. So I'm going to post a list of all the games that we have, which is currently hidden behind my big tapestry here. All the, <laughs> all the, all the games that I've bought and bought. And, God, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> I've purchased. Um, I'm going to make a list of everything that we have. And then if there's a game that we don't have that you think we should, you think is like a, just a, 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 you know, something that has to be part of a game library, you can donate enough money for us to buy it. And then we'll put a little like title card inside the lid that says this game was purchased by so-and-so. Uh, so that, you know, it's like buying a brick for a church or a pew or something like that. Uh, and then lastly, we have a donation level for individual rooms. Uh, every time we buy, uh, get a side room for like our panels and stuff, that's 200 bucks per day per room. So if someone wants to throw us 200 bucks, we'll name a room after you. Uh, this will be the Tanner Clausen room. Uh, yeah, thank finally. You. Finally. Uh, and if you donate $400 or more, so you actually cover the same room more than once, we're going to make a banner that says the Tanner Clausen room. Everyone who plays okay. in there will sign it, and I'll actually mail that banner back to you as a keepsake once everything's said and done. This is an excellent idea. Uh, that's the plan. So uh, our goal for that is $6,000, which the VIP badges is 2,500 of that, which again, I know will we'll go. And based on our last year's numbers, I can't see that would be a problem. If we get enough beyond that, we do have a couple other things that we're looking at doing. Um, we have a web designer who's looking to redesign our website for us, basically really cheap because they're a friend of the show, but not free. Uh, so we would like to raise enough money to maybe pay for that. But mostly the money will be going to uh, put our deposits down. And then in August we will launch the Eventbrite store for everything else. So GM badges, player badges, vendor spots, demo games, all that kind of stuff will all be uh, August 1st on Eventbrite. And based on the numbers from last year, that should give us everything that we need. Uh, goal this year, 700 people. We got a little over 500 last year. I think that's doable. Uh, I think that's it. There's quite a few people in chat. So I'll, I'll pause for a second. Does anyone have any questions that I might uh, answer? Well, we're I can I can see Amelia in there asking if she can name a vulture after myself. I suggest that you become a, a wealthy millionaire and donate to a zoo. That'll be a better way to do that. Um, yeah, so just to summarize for everybody, <laughs> Kickstarter in March to get VIP badges and pay for the deposit. And then Eventbrite will go live in August where you can buy your regular bona fide GM or player badges and sign up for the con. Correct. Excellent. And Road is once again working on our uh, scheduler. Uh, we had a prototype last year that just wasn't quite ready, so we had to go back to the one we'd used the one year before. This year, fingers crossed, the, the new one will be ready. It's got a lot more robust features. Should make scheduling games from the GM standpoint a little easier. Signing tables, which will take a lot of the workload off of me. Mm -hmm. uh, so Targris did ask about the VIPs and the partners. That is something that we have struggled with because the way Kickstarter works... We have a limited number. We can't have like a thousand VIP badges. I, I, I wish we could because if people bought them, that'd be great. Um, so if you go in and you and you buy one, it immediately goes away. But if you wanted to get two, like for you and a partner of some sort, um, you kind of have to have two accounts. That's kind of yeah. the way that has to work. Unfortunately, that's the only way to make it fair. Um, though I have... You know, again, especially for like the VIP event, if you get a VIP badge and your partner doesn't, you can bring your partner a VIP badge. No one's going to care about that. But as far as the other perks, 
um, that will be an issue. Again, it's not a perfect solution. I wish it was. That's just a Kickstarter issue more than a <laughs> more than a us issue. Honestly, a Kickstarter doesn't have a really super great format of being able to select multiple rewards at once by default. That's sort of something that the creators have. They push onto the creators as a workload from what i understand and we've tried to do that in the past uh you know with like someone wanted to over pledge they wanted to get two gm badges and a vip badge and a table topper i'm i'm from retail if you want to give me money i will find a way to take it but that requires a lot of work on our end because we have to go in and like change like okay now there's only 24 badges available what happens if we don't do that fast enough and then we've actually sold 26 which 26 isn't a big deal but but why not 27 like if we messed up and gave one extra person why can't i also get an extra one you get into some weird things there. So um, unless something changes, the current plan is we, you will have to have two accounts, both, both people, both everyone in the, your friend circle party, whatever, everyone will have to jump on at once. We had 15 last year. They sold out very quickly. We're adding 10. There'll be 25 of them available this year. I don't know that those will go instantly. Maybe you will have a little bit of time. Maybe. Hopefully. I mean, you're more than doubling the amount of spots, so I think your chances are way better this year. They did go pretty quick uh, in 2017. Really quickly. And, and it's something we can commit to that if our funding level does go really high, maybe we can add more. Like if we you know, make it as a stretch goal, because part of the benefit is being a VIP is that if everyone's a VIP, then no one's a VIP. I don't want too many people to be a VIP because then it loses you know, the uniqueness. But if we're going to get to 800 people, then maybe we can add five more. If we get to 900 people, maybe we add five more, that kind of thing. So, Yep, we'll figure it out. <clears throat> uh, so New York Tater add, uh, asked about adding a package that is for a pair of passes. Um, again, unfortunately, that doesn't work for Kickstarter because if there's 25 VIP and there's five double passes, the Kickstarter will let me sell all of those. And then I will have sold 25 VIP and 10 more VIP. I, they don't cross they don't out. provide a, w- a way to do math on the back end to make sure that only 25 are claimed total. Correct. I would have to go in and like manually change the number available each time someone does that. And again, if you're not quick enough on the draw, then it oversells, which I know that sounds like a dumb thing. Too many people want to give me money. Right. But I, again, I just don't want to get, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That's what this is all about. I don't want to t- say to one person, you don't get to be a VIP, but they do, even though they didn't follow the rules because they bought three passes at one time. Sorry, you're out. Like, that's just, I don't like yeah. that. Uh, Nathan's asking, what are the benefits of having the VIP badge? So um, I, I know off the top of my head, I didn't study for this question. <laughs> you, get, you get invited to the mixer, which is on Thursday night, I believe. Yep. Yep, and uh, you're going to see all the RPG Academy folks there and all the other people who have bought um, VIP badges. I think on uh, in 2017, it was in the hotel bar. Was, was that correct? Yep. And it was probably similar sort of plan for yeah, 2018. Basically same thing. You just get to hang out, play some games, chat up, you know, the faculty members, any of the other special guests, other VIPs, and, you know, local dating then- people who are like, who the blink are these people? <laughs> Yeah, we we ran into a lot of those. Um, and then you also get, I believe, are we are we gonna do this again this year? First dibs on signing up for games for yes. VIPs? Yeah, we are we are looking at ways to to make the overall process a little bit more equitable. Uh, but one of the benefits of being a VIP is you do get to go first. So 25 mm-hmm. people will get about a week early start on uh registering for games. So if there's something you really want to get into the best chance is to be a VIP and then you're only competing with 24 other people rather than with 600 other people or whatever. Yeah. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I know just from personal experience, my games that I was running, I ran two games 
for a total of eight slots of people. And I believe they both filled up within five or six hours of it going open for the VIPs. And then I had to turn a lot of people away from the table, which sucked. So yeah. A, I'm going to be running more games and B, uh, <laughs> if you want to be a VIP and get in on those early, you will have the, the pick of the litter, so to speak, of what you want to play. Yeah. So that that's the thing. And we've also the last two years been able to give uh, a set of metal dice from one of our sponsors, Easy Roller Dice, uh, has every year given us the, like, it's like a $45 value set of their metal dice. I have not confirmed with them yet because we've added 10 more VIPs. You know, that's like $500 more we would be asking. So I'm not going to assume that they're going to say yes this year. So there's no promises that anyone will get any free swag. But that is something I'm looking at trying to do. If not them, I'm looking to get free swag for all the VIPs as well. But again, I'm not going to promise it. And then the last thing that you get as a VIP is we do a faculty retreat, which is for network members only. Uh, we go up to Michigan because one of our network affiliates works at that hotel and gets us a stupid good rate. And we have a three-day gaming weekend that's just us. It's just us hanging out in a room playing games. And if you're a VIP, you get invited to that. We don't pay for anything. You do get the stupid rate on the rooms because we, we all get that. But otherwise, it's an, inv it's an invite to something that's a private uh, event. So there's like 12, 15 of us up there playing games basically for 72 straight hours. And you get to come hang out with us if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, so sounds like a lot of good opportunities for VIP badge. Um, yeah, like I said, I I'm fully recommend people hop on it early. The biggest thing for me is um, is getting that first, those first dibs on games is is pretty huge. I think, and uh, I'm excited that more people have a chance to do that this year. And I think we're gonna try as well um, to schedule some of the, like the, the really choice games against each other, so you couldn't have a VIP that literally gets like every one of the choice games like they're still gonna have to make choices um right. between some things so that we it's not like after the vips there's nothing left because we have a ton of games they're all gonna be great uh but there are a few that are high profile i know my scooby-doo dread game uh, it sold out it was a vip only event uh, mm -hmm. so i probably will run that again maybe a couple times to try to give other people a choice but again we're getting way into the weeds now uh no one other than the people who are asking questions right now cares about this yeah amelia says that she's learning too much right now so we better change <laughs> subjects <laughs> okay uh <clears throat> me. if there are any other questions uh throw them in chat i'll try to get to them again we will be posting this on the website soon we'll be putting it on the facebook and on the twitter and all that kind of good stuff but the biggest thing is march 14th 9 15 p.m if you want a VIP badge, that's where you want to be and when you want to be there. So, and that's obviously Eastern time because that's where I live. Okay. So with all that, let's actually get into the topic here tonight. We're going to talk about video games and what we can learn from them and apply to our role-playing games. But before we do that, we always like to take a step back and talk about why we are here. So Tanner and I like to talk about role-playing games because we hope that through these conversations, there might be something that uh, you can learn as I have not done this in a while. Uh, <laughs> you can glean from our many years of playing tabletop role-playing games. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And uh, Tanner, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you are doing it right. That is correct. So no matter what game you're playing, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, misuse, fudge dice. As long as you're having fun at your table, you're doing it right. I'm about to walk away from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so quick, again, I had to do a quick question about the GM badge. Yes, the GM badge. Um, actually, I meant to mention this. All the prices are going to go up a little bit. They're not 
I don't think they're crazy amounts, but everything is going to go a little bit. So the GM badge is a little bit more than it was last year, but basically the same thing applies. It's a much cheaper badge, but you agree to run two things for us. And that, that's pretty much it. Uh, because we're not going to start selling those till August, the turnaround time will be much quicker. Like as soon as you buy a GM badge, we're going to start registering your games. There's not going to be a buy badge and then wait four months and then start registering. As soon as you buy it, we're going to ask you what you want to run. We'll start plugging it in to the spreadsheet and all that kind of good stuff. So everything is going to be the same. Just the timetables are going to be a little bit squished together. And mm-hmm. apparently there's a squirrel behind me. I'm thinking they might think this is my, my dragon is a squirrel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got you on my nice new big monitor so I don't make that mistake. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. So what we wanted to talk about tonight, again, was taking lessons learned from video games and seeing how we can apply those into role-playing games. (laughs) Now, where this came from is, as I was telling you before we started recording, I just rarely recently got into into video games again. I haven't really played them in several years. Since I had kids and then the podcast has really become my hobby. So pretty much the last six years... If I'm not doing something else, I'm working on the podcast. So haven't been a lot of time for video games. So recently I decided to get back into them. I've started playing some of my old favorites and it's caused me to kind of make some connections. Like that's, you know, that's an interesting choice or that was an interesting thing. And, and I've started to try to apply them to uh, role-playing games. Now, the first thing that I came up with, and I'm, and I'm not saying this is at all a good idea, but it was a thought that I had is when I play video games, I am absolutely a min-maxer. I try to maximize whatever it is about my character that I want to do. Usually it's like charisma, persuasion. If you're playing a game like Mass Effect or uh, Nice of the Old Republic, I want to get all the cool features. I want to be able to, you know, f- persuade people to do things, right? <clears throat> so I will do everything in my power to make that as high as possible, including using cheat codes if I have to. Uh, but when I play video games, I don't do that at all. Like I, or excuse me, when I play role-playing games, I, I don't do that. At all. I don't care anything about that. I, the mechanics of the world mean very little to me. And I started wondering if that's because in a video game, I can kind of see where I'm going. So specifically, mm-hmm. I was trying to level up a certain character in this game I'm playing. So I was grinding. Uh, it's Marvel's Ultimate Alliance. It's no secret I'm playing. It's the game where you can do the training missions, like the... Uh, um, such a good game. <laughs> the, the danger room stuff where you can just yeah, basically yeah. play. So I would just play the same ones over and over for like hours, just getting experience points and the gold that you can use to buy your better equipment. Right. But the reason I did that is I could always see the end point. I could see, well, once I got, you know, 40,000 credits, I could afford this thing. Or once right. I got to this many experience levels, I would be able to unlock this cool superpower that I want to do. So I started thinking that, if you were to remove the ability to plan your character's advancement, would that affect, again, I think it's a good idea, would that affect people's perception of trying to grind levels in like a D&D game where it's like, okay, I, once I get to eighth level and I take this feat, then I get to do the super cool thing. If, you, right. if you're not thinking that, if you don't know that at eighth level, it unlocks the thing. You don't know that at eighth level, you get to do the super, the super cool thing. You just know what your character can do now. Would that affect the way the game feels at the table? Well, I think for, I mean, for the sort of default understanding of, you know, the most popular role-playing games like D&D, where, you know, progression is a core sort of carrot and stick of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to get experience. You're trying to, whether that's killing monsters or getting treasure or completing quests or whatever. Um, or doing milestone XP. Um, I think the you still need to have the promise of you'll get cool stuff later. Other 
otherwise you kind of run out of reason to to be motivated i think maybe as a player or a player character um but, but like you said you know like in an rpg a, a video game rpg you can say oh yeah you know like i want to save up 40,000 xp so i can buy this this ability or whatever and if you kind of take that information away you're it just kind of becomes a promise between the GM and the player, or the, the GM who presumably knows what's going on and saying, oh, it'll be worth it. Don't worry, wink, wink. And I just, it's an interesting thought, but I don't know if it would work at the table. It would, it would require a very specific type of group, I think, to work. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, again, this is just a thought experiment. Like, I, I don't really have any plans on doing it. I'm just sort of thinking through how would it make me feel? And, and you know, anecdotally, I have some friends I've played games with over the over my career, over my life. And the ones that I know are the ones who would sit down and go, this is my character at every level. I've already planned which right. feats I'll take when, which magic items I want at this level, blah, blah, blah. Those I've also are the played ones... Pathfinder. Okay. Well, those, <laughs> those are the people who are usually, my, my experience, the ones that are very focused on leveling. You know, they're, they're more focused on the math of the game and grinding out experience points and trying to do everything they can to get the experience points because they're playing for the future. That that's their 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 satisfaction is going to come unlocking that cool thing that they've been working toward for weeks, months, or years. Right. So I don't know that you could hide that particularly because uh, again, I don't. One, it would only work once because once they've gone up a few levels, they would know, or they just go by the book even if they're not supposed to. But I think I think the way it would work is it would be it have to be a different type of game. I'm thinking more like a spy thriller. Like if you're if you're James Bond and you start off as James Bond, you're already super cool. Then you're not worried about getting better super cool. You're just ex- enjoying the experience of being super cool. Yeah. Would it work better if there just wasn't such a thing? Like maybe you still get new loot. You get the cool new car, sure. the, the pin that shoots darts out of it. But that's yeah, not certain- something you earn. It's just something that comes with as the story develops. Right. And like certain, I, I think you're touching on something, which is that certain games are more predicated on progression as being a, the carrot and the stick. And some games really aren't like, um, I mean, obviously if you, if you take it in the context of a one shot, if you're playing a one shot and everyone at the table knows it, you're not really worried about how much extra XP am I going to get because you're going to be done with the session and the story at the end of it anyway. Um, to kind of reframe that oftentimes in D and D you'll, your characters will get a tip on, oh, this location has a bunch of treasure in it, right? Mm -hmm. Your characters still want to go in and plunder that location, even if they don't know what the treasure is. And even if there's no solid rules for them of what they should spend the treasure on, you know? And I think if you kind of look at XP the same way, maybe, um, as being, you know, sometimes the the carrot is all you need. You don't need the stick, so to speak. Like, I, I think it's an easier sell to say, Oh, Hey, go adventure and you'll get treasure and you can use that to spend on whatever you want. And who knows what'll come from it rather than here's some XP. You'll get some, who knows what'll come from it. I think, I think it's a little bit easier sell if it's something in universe, as opposed to an out of game concept, like experience. points. Yeah, I, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about this for, a, you know, probably a week now, just kind of going back and forth. And I, I think what I've ultimately come up to is if you're the type of player, like I am, that doesn't, doesn't care a lot about it. i mean i still think it's fun to roll dice and get not high numbers and kill goblins i mean it's it's fun but that's not what i play the game for that i don't need to have this information hidden because i don't care already right and if you're the type of player who does care hiding it's not going to make the game better for you you're just going to want to know things that are now hidden so i i don't think it would work because 
who is it for? The people who right. it's for don't need it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I think the only people that it might be for would be if you're, say, playing with a group of four brand new players and you don't want them to get overwhelmed by the character options that you get later on or how to build a character. And you just tell them, you're level one, this is what you got. Here's the story. Here's the adventure. Run with it. And then once you hit level two, you say, okay, here are your options. And that's more of almost a tutorial rather than an intentional sort of, not trick, but an intentional gimmick that you're playing with. I'm technique. yeah, technique is probably more generous <laughs> than I was being, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think it would work for that type of context, but I'm not sure. Yeah, like you said, who's it for? Like you said, people like you and I probably play for the story, and there are people who, if they don't play the story, they're probably playing for the mechanics, and hiding from the mechanics from them isn't going to do them any favors. Right, so, yeah. So yeah. again, I think it's fun as a thought experiment. If anyone out there, again, there's a couple of people in chat talking a little bit about it as well, but if you have any thoughts or maybe experiences, I know, for example, Fate came to mind because Fate has a very sort of flat advancement. You don't really get a lot better. You just get broader different things that you can do so it's kind of a game that does that in a way there's not any real super benefit in in like fate core to to getting higher levels you know like you don't get the super cool thing you already have the super cool thing it's your stunt you know you already start with it which again goes back to the sort of the james bond example yeah, L5R 4th edition, which is what we were playing, that's kind of similar where in D&D, you know, if you want to think about the graph, you start, you very much go from zero to hero mm-hmm. in D&D from levels one through 20, for example. In L5R, you start out a little bit more competent and the curve's a little bit flatter. Not to say that a rank five character isn't way stronger than a rank one character, but you're generally not superhuman by the end of it. So I think that sort of subtly intentionally or not focuses the how you think about progression i think and it's less about like oh what cool new technique and be like oh what skills should i pick up that makes sense for my character to spend my xp on just a different perspective on it all right so again so that was more of just theoretical here here there's a couple now i want to talk about that i think are are actually applicable to the game uh, the first one that came to my mind is that uh, video games and, and again i'm talking very generalities about the ones i've played um it encourages and re- rewards exploration. Right. I was actually going to bring this up too. Okay. I stole your yeah. thunder. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't necessarily just mean explore like, again, like in a dungeon where you get every room nook and cranny, though that is, that is accurate as well. But just exploring the world. Like if you talk to more people, you might find out new information or better information. You know, if you spend time interacting with all the NPCs and coming back to them when things change and having new conversations – you you get a better sense of the world and you get more of a story satisfaction, but you can also unlock gear. You know, mm-hmm. the, the person you meet on the street the first time you give a you know an alm to the, the beggar, you know, you come back to that same city three or four times later, turns out they're actually part of the thieves guild or whatever. Like they unlock a mission. And mm-hmm. once you get to that mission, you get to go into this place in this temple and you still thing, and now you get this plus four sword that you don't need, but it's cool to have and you only get it because you continually interact with the world. And exploration in that case is its own reward. And I think that's something that I think video games might do that slightly better than tabletop games, at least by default, um, at least for an average game, say that that rewarding exploration is a little bit more valuable in, um, in video games. So most video games, like I'm playing like Monster Hunter right now, and there's enormous, enormous environments in there with all sorts of little nooks and crannies, and it's a game about exploration, right? 
that work was all done by a team of developers over several years to make it. Yep. And that's, that's why it's rich and rewarding and you can find something around every corner. Um, it's a little bit unreasonable, I think, to ask a GM to prepare something like that that much of like literally every here's a huge one square mile area and every three yards there's a point of interest. Like yep. you just, I don't really think that's feasible. So well, as it's, a, it's also scripted. Like, right. you know, like it, it's, it only triggers when X happens. It's not like a role-playing game. It's once you've done A, B, and C, then this happens regardless of anything else that happens in the game. Right. And I, I think that there are ways around it as a GM, say, having a lot of random tables that you can roll on. So, hey, maybe when they go into this area, you improvise something. You roll a couple times on a table and you say, oh, yeah, there's a guard tower that is inhabited by ghosts okay cool now you have a, a you just made up an adventure but do you i have a question for you do you consider that exploration if the gm just had to make it up on the fly does does that scratch the same itch as exploring a video game does when you know that somebody put care into the thing you just discovered as opposed to just making it up just now well i, I think and this this piggybacks on this discussion we're not going to have is <laughs> only if I know it. If if the GM makes it seem like, oh, you asked this person this question, <laughs> lucky you, and I have no idea that this was like just BS that was made up, but this is like the point all along, then yeah, great. But if it's clear that they're just sort of figuring it out, I think it would be, it would still be interesting because I got something for caring and I think that's important. But I don't think it would be as fun as if I thought it was always there and I was right. smart for finding it. I completely agree with you on, the, on this part when it comes to the idea of like discovering something that's improvised versus discovering something that's prepared. Obviously, in most video games, unless there's some ones doing some really crazy stuff, you're not going to discover something improvised or right. I mean, there's there's games that you might find procedurally generated things are like oh you just happen to have been here when these two monsters are fighting each other that's the story now you know but for the most part games aren't tabletop games are less equipped to make that type of exploration happen so here's my question how can we adapt this how can we try to implement it in some way into a rpg um, so that it does feel rewarding and it is something that we can do without requiring a team of writers and spending six years developing it. Is it possible? And if so, how? I think so. I think you kind of have to find a middle ground of what we were talking about of I've prepared this adventure versus I'm making this up on the fly. So mm -hmm. a lot of like um, hex crawl type games or systems like old D&D or a lot of OSR games will have uh, you know, they'll have a whole map and they'll show you in this hex and there'll be a little paragraph that's in this hex of like the bugbears of the black stick tribe are at war with the orcs here. They have a network of tunnels and the ant queen is invading. That's enough that you that's more interesting than most people could probably have improvised right on the spot. Mm -hmm. It's not a whole adventure. It's not a whole even dungeon map for you, but it's something to get you going that was it was thoughtful at least like it was placed there thoughtfully and then it's up to you as the GM to make that work and make that interesting for your game and your context. So I think in my opinion, the closest you can get to something like true exploration without, you know, making the GM into a full-time writer is stuff like that little blurbs that are evocative that you can develop at the time and are interesting, but aren't overly long or overkill. So I'm, a self-described improv heavy GM. So I think 
what I would do and what maybe what I have done in some cases is I I reward it when it happens. I don't plan for it, which I mean you're talking about more about trying to give yourself seeds that you can, you know, sprout into something if they're watered through exploration. Right. But if I throw out a, a random NPC, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, I always like to throw out random details that are, I have no idea what they mean, but I'll just include, you know, an interesting scar with, you know, a, a three-headed snake on someone's back of their, tattoo on the back of their hand. There is no story about the three, mm-hmm. three-headed snake right now, but it's just a detail. An NPC might have really vibrant green eyes, or a guard might be wearing uh, an, an ancestral belt that makes them, marks them as noble. Like, why is there a noble in the guard, right? And if the PCs kind of latch onto that and they think that's interesting. So they keep themselves coming back to it. Then it does become important. I, I will, <laughs> I will make something up and you know, maybe I can't make it up on the fly, but if I see that they're interested, okay, they seem really interested in that guard. Who is that guard? Okay. So maybe the next time they go back to them and someone says, Hey, I noticed your belt. Let me tell you the story of my family. Cause I've, I've kind of prepared a little bit for it. And maybe <laughs> they come back around now, you know, hey, I'd, I'd love it if you could help me reclaim my title because it was stolen by this other person. Yeah. And now we've got, a, you know, maybe there was a dungeon that was supposed to be clearing out were-rats. Guess what? Now it's an evil noble. Same dungeon, same encounters. They're just not were-rats anymore. Maybe they're were-rat nobles. Who knows? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've done that in my campaign. I've done that in Shadow of the Cabal. There was an NPC I introduced pretty early on that I just need an NPC in a, in a second. And I gave him a terrible samurai Brooklyn accent and my, <laughs> and my players latched onto him and they, they tried to, you know, I mean, that's the classic story of like, you make up an NPC on the fly and the players get super attached to them and they want to try to bring him in and everything. And yep. so I said, Oh, of course, when they come back to the city, he's actually this guy and they just encountered him early on. I mean, it was just some Joe Schmo number 95 in right. my original notes, but now of course it's him. And, they they got to build a relationship with him, which is cool, which video games can't really do that, you know? Yeah. Again, if they're not important when they're written, they don't become important later. That's that that can't happen in a video game, but I think a role-playing right. game. So I think a good balance between the two is when you're writing your notes or you're thinking about your world, sprinkle in things that aren't directly related to the plot, but sound interesting. You know, there again, there's two nations over here that are close to war. There's rumors of a dragon, even though one hasn't been seen in a thousand years. It's just a rumor, so maybe it's not a dragon. That has yeah. nothing to do with your story, but if, if they latch onto it, you can just kind of keep bringing it around and, and seeing where it goes and be comfortable and willing to deviate from what you thought was going to happen. I really thought my players were going to follow the story and they were going to find the, the, the priest who is, you know, actually a demon in disguise. Turns out they're a lot more interested in that dragon. Right. All right, well, now we're going to go dragon hunting. So that's, yeah. that's what's going to happen. I like the words that you used. You have to have a certain level of confidence as a GM to leave hanging threads and threads that you don't know where they're going to go. But just <laughs> like you said, you know, just like, oh, this guy has a snake tattoo on the back of his hand. That's an interesting detail on its own. And then maybe, hey, someday if you need a criminal cult that worships the snake goddess, hey, you've laid the seeds for that. And being able to throw something out there and not know where it's going is a secret GM skill that. It's hard to teach, I think. Yeah, I do think random details uh, would be something. I, I, you, again, you have to be ready to make them mean something later, but I love just throwing out details as if they're important and to see what they latch on to. Mm-hmm. Um, so Game Master's Vault had asked a question earlier about um, our first topic. You know, like their disabled device going up only because their character had been using that skill. 
there was a, a game I played one time back in college, and I want to say it was called Rollmaster. Yeah, I was going to say like Mithras, Rollmaster, those BRP games, and the D100 system, right? I, again, it's it's been like 20 years. I don't remember. But, but I do remember there were no classes. And whatever you did that night, you then rolled a die, and there's a chance it would improve. So if you you know cast a spell, swung your sword, and picked a lock, each one of those things has the potential to get better based mm-hmm. off of how, how many times you used it and then your dice rolling. So over time, you would just get better at what you were doing, which mm-hmm. is kind of what that sounds like. There's a there's a more modern system, the Burning Wheel, which is used for games like Mouse Guard or Torchbearer, um, and they have a similar thing. It's a, I feel like it's a little bit more interesting and more elegant in that to level up a skill, you have to fail it a certain number of times and succeed at it a couple number of times. Okay. So you can't just go for easy things. You're never going to improve. You'll get your successes quick, but you need failures. So you need to be pushing yourself to maybe even bite off things that you you know you're going to fail at. But hey, at least I can mark a failure and I can <laughs> level this up. So that, that kind of stuff I think is a little bit more interesting because it in Rollmaster or something like that. I, I mean, obviously, we're both kind of fuzzy on the mechanics, but from our understanding, I mean, if you want to level up sword swordsmanship, you better be going into a sword into a sword fight every time with your sword out. But in something like Torchbearer, you know, there's a mechanical incentive to kind of bone yourself over once in a while, which makes the story more fun. I think. Right, cool. Yeah. Uh, so, Game Master Vault had also asked a question to you about four minutes ago or so. And I don't know now what it was connected to because I know there's a delay. Um, he, he asked in the moment and not as part of leveling up. Right. I think that's what we were talking about with Rollmaster, where at Rollmaster, uh, from what we understand, I like that we're both just saying what we think Rollmaster is at this point. <laughs> I find myself doing that so much with things. But um, like you said, from what you described, you do it at the end of the session as a part of level up or getting XP. Um, as opposed to Burning Wheel, the example that I was giving, where you mark it immediately. And if that is your third failure or your third success or whatever you needed, boom, your skill goes up by one and you erase your failures and successes and you start again. Okay. So burning wheel uh, to answer your question, game masters of all, it does do that in the moment. Okay. So my next sort of concept coming from playing video games recently, which ties in very closely to this one is the, um, the more difficult stuff stuff is usually optional. Mm. You know, again, I don't need that plus five sword. But it would be really cool to have. And if I want the plus five sword, I got to keep searching that dungeon until I find that secret door. Yeah. Uh, A lot of Japanese RPGs, I'm a really big fan of the Tales of series. And um, a lot of them, it's sort of a theme in every entry in the game. They're kind of like Final Fantasy games in that they're all similar, but not really the same story. They're not sequels really to one another, but they have sort of common mechanics. And one of them is there's always an optional, super hard-ass dungeon that the rewards aren't even worth it. It's just to yeah. say that you could do it, right. you know? And um, I definitely have done stuff like that in, um, in, uh, in D&D. Like when I ran my fifth edition campaign, you know, I gave them the option of like, okay, you guys are broke. You need to fund your pirate ship. Your ship costs money. Here's some leads. Here's an easy treasure trove. Here's one that might have a lot of treasure, but it's literally guarded by a goddamn dragon. So, <laughs> yeah, so you know, it, it's it's fun to make them play with that risk reward. I think it's tr- you have to be more cognizant of RPGs where there is no save and reload. Yes. Um, as opposed to a video game where if you get halfway through and you're like, oh, this sucks, you can revert to a an easier save or use an escape rope to get out of the dungeon where in RPGs, it's kind of what happens happens. 
Yeah, so so that's my my challenge now. Again, just as a thought experiment, how do you implement that in a game where you know, assuming you don't play a game that has a high magic and you know resurrections are a dime a dozen, and if your character dies, you're dead. How do you reward that extra effort when the price is so high for failure? I think it just comes down to you have to signpost what the danger is. Um, I think everybody who's played RPGs for a certain amount of time has a horror story of, oh, the GM expected this to be a really hard encounter and we bumbled into it. And we didn't know it was supposed to be the final boss or, you know, it was way harder than we were anticipating. And I think just saying, you know, in game of like, oh, you see the charred remains of adventurers outside this, the entrance to this cave. That's one way to do it. But I think it's also valuable to just say out of character, hey, players, this is going to be a really hard fight it's an op- you can this it's is optional. the point. it's optional don't yeah. feel like i'm forcing you. i do that kind of stuff all the time and i try to signpost what what is difficult and what isn't you know uh just like an example some games have that baked in with like mook rules you know if you're playing star wars and you see one imperial officer and five stormtroopers well you know those stormtroopers are all going to be a gang of minions that you can probably just take out the whole gang of them in two or three turns but the fact I don't know. There's ways to suggest what's difficult and what's not, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I also think the difficulty doesn't necessarily have to be measured in character death, but it depends on the game you're playing and the type of story. What else could it be? Uh, so, you know, maybe you have to put something on the line. Uh, and I'm, I've literally have not thought of this ahead of time. I'm trying to make something up right now, but maybe before you can do this thing, you have to pay a bounty or you have to, you know, like I, here's the deed to my land as, as collateral. I'm going to go. And if I can bring out this, the chalice of whatever, then X happens. If not, I now no longer have my land or whatever the thing is, you know, whatever the value is in your game, your story. Another idea is maybe putting a, a sort of time limit on it where you can say, Hey, Zathrax the Beholder is about to take all of his treasure and through the portal into the nether realm and you have one week to get there and stop him. So if you fail and you mess up, well, he gets away with his treasure, but you're not dead. Right. So I think actually I think that's a really good example is to put a time limit where failure is wasted effort, mm-hmm. but it's not character death. I mean, it still can be. You go into a dungeon with a beholder, you might die, but it's not like it's A or B. You either kill the beholder or you die. It's maybe you don't get the treasure but you wasted a week in game. Turns out mm. the week you were gone, this other thing happened that you really don't aren't happy about. Right. Or even setting that up ahead of time of being like, hey, you know there's a crisis here uh, and there's a dungeon full of gold on the way. But man, if you mess up and you take a long time in that dungeon, guess what? You're not going to make it to event X in time. So For some reason, the thing that just popped in my head was that uh, the Brady Bunch movie where they needed $10,000 and there just happened to be a battle of the bands that paid out $10,000. So they didn't have to do the battle of the bands. They could have no. possibly got $10,000 another way. I think Robin a bank was on the, on the table at one time, but, but there's that carrot stick. It's like, okay, you need X. There just happens to be X over here. But if you fail, then you just don't get X and now you don't have it. So it's like, do you take the, you know, the more secure guaranteed route or do you go for the you know the gusto and you try to win it early or easy or something like that? That could be a fun example, I think. I'm sure you made a really good point just there, but I just started thinking about the Brady Bunch heist game that I have to play now. <laughs> I, th- I think I have to run that, right? 
get it like wushu or like oh yeah fiasco and you know the brady bunch has to you have character sheets for for every every single oh man that actually that might also be a dread game it could go right hand in hand with scooby-doo <laughs> dread yeah it, it could yeah. be a brady bunch dread yeah awesome uh all right so one of my other topics here um if you miss something it can usually be found somewhere else if it's crucial to the story like if you have to Mm. find x and it's in a dungeon and you don't go to that room the game will usually move it somewhere else and you'll find it in a different room or a different dungeon or it's for sale i know i I was playing uh, x-men legends which is like the precursor to marvel ultimate alliance and you find the the training discs that let you do the the danger room if you miss one there's a guy later who will sell it to you Right. So games, video games really quantum ogre you all the time, don't they? <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. But is that a bad thing? I mean, it, I, I don't want I don't want to know that that's what happened. Like if we go into the dungeon because we need the sword of, you know, Bazar and we don't find it, I don't expect the next traitor who comes to the town happens to have it. But if it's like a thing that like, oh, like I really need them to find this note because the note is what lets them know that the priest and the noble are working together and they don't go where the note is, maybe two weeks later, there's a rumor that pops up that it's not definitive, but it lays the groundwork that maybe there's something going on. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that in an RPG or a tabletop RPG, I should say, we got to start yeah. <laughs> noting what we're talking about now. Correct. In a tabletop game, I think that I am more of a fan of, okay, I know the par- I know I really want the party to get their hands on the sword of Bazar. They missed it in the dungeon. I'm not just going to say, oh, it was in the merchant's stronghold the whole time and he's about to sell it to you. I'm going to try to think of a story of how it got there. Maybe the maybe right after you came in and cleared out all the monsters, bandits came in and they <laughs> took it and plundered it and, and they fenced it. So the, stuff like that, just making it seem plausible as to why you're <laughs> quantum ogring them. Yeah. That's, I, I'm, and I'm just harping on that now. But making it plausible as to why you're throwing it in their face again, so to speak. Yeah. That actually could that, be kind of a funny scene, like where the, you meet up with the people who got it. You're like, Hey, did you guys remember seeing the red rock? Yeah. Total secret passage behind there. Source was just there. You just missed it. Right. Right. Yeah. I think as long as you can plausibly explain it in a format that doesn't make your party laugh at the table, you did it. Okay. Yeah. I think so but, as well. Yeah, you always got to go for the laugh test, I think. <laughs> and even if you go to laugh test, you know, again, if you, I feel like if you're making me laugh, that's a win. Even if I'm trying to play a super serious game, I like to laugh. So if you can make me laugh, that's still, that's still okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last one that I have, just again, I'm sure there's a billion more if I keep playing video games. Uh, but in particular with Marvel Ultimate Alliance, if there's a particular puzzle that you need to solve, the game won't let you leave that room until you solve it. So it'll, you'll go into a room, Force field appears behind you, and until you move the thing where the thing has to move, because that unlocks a door later in the dungeon, you can't leave that room. I kind of feel like that's, I mean, I could see that going both ways in in some respects, but I do like the fact that I'm not going to go into a room, not realize it's a puzzle, go, you know, deeper and deeper into the dungeon. Now I can't get through because I don't have the red key, and I have no idea what room the red key was supposed to be in. If If there's a way to say... There's a puzzle here. Mm-hmm. You need to solve it or you won't have the red key. Right. Most video games don't let you strand yourself somewhere, which, yes. is, which, yeah. which is very wise. Um, when it comes to me, I mean, 
I'm sure that, again, this is probably a story that everybody has of GM threw a puzzle at our session or at our party. And man, he thought it was really obvious, but God, did we just spend two hours trying to figure out the GM's stupid crossword puzzle that he yep. says, you idiots, you should have figured this out. Yep. So my, I think a way to modify that is that um, whenever I, I've run into that, I've been that GM. And the, the way that I like to solve it is whenever I set up a puzzle, I set up, this is the puzzle. And if you're clever, you can get it this way. Here's a very clear other option that is the brute force. It will cost you a lot, but you will get through it. Yeah. So something like, oh, there's going to be a flame trap on this doorway that you can see. You can try to do the puzzle to disarm it with a combination lock, or you can just run through it. You lose some HP. You might have to spend some healing potions, but you'll be through it. So um, I think what you're saying is that like a video game is more than happy to just tell you to sit down and shut up and stall out your progress and say, figure it out, mm -hmm. where I think a good GM would avoid that. I think so too. I think this comes down to another tip we've talked about before is you don't want to bottleneck your dungeon where mm -hmm. if you don't have the red key, you can't get, you can't go any further. Mm -hmm. So it's not, there shouldn't really be a situation where you have to figure out the, the, the puzzle here. I like what you said. There's multiple options. Maybe if you figure out the puzzle, it's better. It's easier. It's faster. There's more loot on the other side of that door than the other door, but they both will go eventually to the same place. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's an option. Uh, the other thing I thought about with, with puzzles is giving a sense of being correct. Now, for example, you have the three levers, and each lever has three positions, and you got to get each level into the right one. There should be like a click. Or when, a chime. Or a chime. Yeah. When you get it right, if you get it wrong, maybe it shocks you. So you're yeah. like, okay, no shock, no shock, shock. Oh, these two are right. You know, yeah. it's like the game yeah. on Price is Right, where you know three out of four are right. You got to figure out which one's not right and move it. So I think that's another way that you can help figure out the puzzle. You know, you're not locking them into the room, but you're giving them enough information. They're not just going to say, this, I can't, I, we moved it in every direction. Nothing ever happened. We have no idea what's going on. Give them some feedback to like, okay, you're making progress along the way to success. Yeah. And I think there's, there's more sort of organic ways to do that too. Maybe your puzzle is you have a animated statue who's asking the, the players a riddle to get by. And maybe you as the GM are role-playing, and when they get, they're getting hot, you give a little smile, and you can say, yeah, you see the statue is, you know, like even subtle things of like playing hot and cold even with <laughs> if, if it drags down too much is a, is a strategy too. Yeah, well, two things I thought of there is one, we played Hanabi last night on YouTube um we weren't supposed to just we did it if you've not like because because we did that exact thing where like one of us is going through the logic like well you told me this was a four so does that mean i can't play this four or does that mean this is the four that i'm supposed to play now and we're like that is a line of logic that you wish yeah think that, that could be it you know so we're given like these context clues without trying to actually say yes you moron it's the four that you need to play um yeah but the other thing i thought of would be uh i just had this image of like a statue that as you're getting things right, it's getting closer. Or maybe if you're getting things wrong, it's getting closer because the statue's going to come to life. So you mm -hmm. physically see it getting closer. Or when you get it right, it starts to back away. Yeah. And then you have the one player who starts doing this to make it dance just because, you know, <laughs> there's always that one player that does that. And there are some puzzles that might provide instant feedback. Um, I, I saw a list online. It was like 100 dungeon room ideas or something. And one of them was, okay, you're in this dungeon and you have to get to the other side of it. But 
each turn you can only you slow down and you can only move half as the speed that you did last turn oh so if you move 30 feet in one turn you suddenly find yourself with 15 feet of movement this turn and so that type of thing is a very clear signal of whoa something's up yeah we got we have to stop and think about this and figure out how to get through that adventure um sorry i ignored nathan's question nathan said uh oh it's not really a question but he commented um now everyone can look up the answers for video games online in about a minute. Yeah, Gamesfact.com is on my browser windows. Yep, there is no game facts for uh, my D&D or RPG games, I'm sorry to say. but <laughs> Well, but then Game, game Master's Vault mentioned if you're playing a module, someone else may have read the module and already know the answer. Or And like most riddles are recycled, you know? Yeah. And it, it might be the riddle in this module, but it's also a riddle that you've heard a thousand other times in other contexts. Right. Yeah. And I think that that just sort of comes down to when you sit down at a table, there is a, a spoken or unspoken social contract between you and your copy of X-Men Ultimate, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. There is no social contract. <laughs> nope. You are my toy to play with <laughs> until I have fun. And that is not always what players or your GM should be. Uh, absolutely. So those are the, the points that I had pulled out. Is there anything that you would want to uh, you know, again, I know you hadn't prepared for this topic, but do you have any other examples of things that you've got from a video game that you think is an interesting thing to try to include or, or just worthy of note? Yeah, I mean, I think you can always mine video game stories for ideas, just like you can mine any story for an idea. But I think that, you know, you can watch a TV show, an episode of Lost or something and say, wow, that'd be a great idea for a session. But video games allow you to, at least modern ones, allow you to have a real sense of choice as to what happens, you know. In a game, like you said, Mass Effect or Dragon Age or The Witcher or something, it will present you with a quest with multiple endings to it. And if you're a GM, you're like, wow, this is a really good premise. You can play out all three of, or four or two of those endings and see how they shake out. And you can say, oh, wow, you know what? I'm going to steal endings A, B, and C for this quest for my game, but D and E don't really make sense. So I'm going to leave those out. So being able to explore different avenues like that are, um, are pretty interesting. Um, Nathan also just asked, um, uh, I missed earlier talk. Have you, either of you played shadow of war and have you thought about the nemesis idea for the foes that the PCs don't kill? Um, yes, Nathan, I actually just probably got done with about 30 hours of shadow of war. Um, that, that game gives me so many ideas for um, running an RPG. I think that's one of the few that really can. So for, are you familiar at all, Michael? With No, I have not. Nope, no, no okay. idea. So it's a Lord of the Rings game, right? The basic premise is that you're in Mordor, you're a ghost human that you can come back multiple times, and there is a network of orcs, and they are in a hierarchy, and you can play them against each other, these are all randomly generated characters too. These aren't pre-programmed characters of voices or whatever. So you might get in a fight with one and cut off his arm, but he'll come back and now he has a claw in his hand and he wants revenge for you. <laughs> and like that type of stuff is the closest that I've ever seen a video game come to what a good role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game would be like. And I think that, yes, steal everything that you can from this game. That gave me an idea of like, of an awesome D&D like sandbox game saying all right you know the kingdom of the elves has finally fallen the tyrants are done and all these noble houses are squabbling against each other your job is to just go f stuff up make their <laughs> lives as miserable as possible play them against one another betray them ally you know and 
being able to play in that type of sandbox and pit those characters against each other. That's an awesome, that, that's a, that's a campaign seed right there. I think for sure. Very, very yeah. cool. So yeah, unfortunately I, I have not played that. It sounds like maybe I should. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, all right. So any, anything else we're, we're getting close to the, we need to wrap up here, but I, if you have anything else, we'll, we'll, we'll try to address it. Sure. I just want to say fire and quick that like we've addressed, there are things that video games do very well that tabletop games don't. And there are things that tabletop games do very well that video games don't. So I would say if you see a really cool idea in a video game um, before implementing it in tabletop or trying to write a game about it even, or, you know, just have a session inspired by it, think about why it works and just try to work your way through of like, what would this be like at the table? Um, For example, Dark Souls is a really popular game series and people, I think, have been trying to crack the nut of how, how to turn that into a tabletop game. But fundamentally, what that game is about is reading enemy patterns and really precise stick movement and things that, while super fun to play on a home console, how do you, how do you translate that to a tabletop RPG? Many people have tried and failed. Yes, and you can, you can see b- mountains of bones of fantasy heartbreakers. Yep everywhere who have like, tried it's to... just like D, except there's multiple hit locations and damage <laughs> resistance and you can have critical wounds where you lose limbs uh, yeah no thanks no thanks yeah so uh, <laughs> th- think uh, just I, I to all those amateur game hackers and designers and everything take ideas and if you're going to import if you want to run a tabletop game inspired by dark souls think about what dark souls is think about what can translate and what can't and just go from there. That, that would be my advice for yeah. that. I think stealing ideas and concepts and themes is, is probably easier to implement in an RPG. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is a game where I do, I push the X button three times in a row to disarm a bomb, but maybe in the game, I'm like, okay, I just need to add a timed element where they're fighting the cultists, but there's actually a bomb too. That's kind of a cool scene. We got to deal with both things. It's not, I'm going to have them after all three 19s in a row to disarm the bomb, but there's just an element of some sort of timed catastrophe that's secondary to the, to the main story or whatever. I think mm-hmm. that it's easier to implement themes, ideas and concepts than it is to like still a mechanic, but I'm also not a, a good DM designer. So maybe if you're good at it, you can. <laughs> yeah. And I think like going back to like the dark souls example, like you might have a really thrilling moment with a boss in dark souls. And you're like, wow, how do I, how do I translate this to four other people at the table? And you might have to look and look at the, the fundament, the elements of what's going on. It's not that, oh, this wasn't interesting because the boss could deal 75% of my HP in one hit. It's interesting because the game let you stumble into something you were not prepared for. That's an idea you can put into tabletop easily. Being able to tease out that that's the thing, that's the nugget to take away and to leave the other stuff behind, like I said, and like you said, I think is really the core of like, how do I adapt something? All right. Very, very cool. So we're at that point. We need to start wrapping up the show. Uh, so as always, we'll throw it out one last time to anyone in the audience who would like to send us a, a question. We'll answer them. It doesn't have to be related to the topic at hand. It could be anything that you just want to ask. Uh, since there is a delay while we're waiting for chat to catch up, Tanner, where can people find your work on the Internet? Um, I run the Shadow of the Cabal podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Google Play and uh, all sorts of other podcasts aggregators um we're a story we're wrapping up pretty soon but we're a story about um samurai investigators jason Bourne meets seven samurai meets game of thrones if you like those things check it out um 
we're going to be wrapping up our story soon and uh, moving on to something else pretty quickly, like I said. So um, if you want to keep updated, you can keep subscribed to the podcast feed. We're also on Twitter at SOTC pod, like shadow of the cabal. That's the easiest and fastest way to get a hold of me. I always have my phone on me. So if you want to send feedback or whatever, you can do that. And then if you feel extra generous, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash SOTC pod. Kick us a couple bucks a month. You get to pick my brain about stuff. You get access to our super, super fun Discord community that's always active. And uh, I'll run games for you even. So check that out. Very, very cool. Tanner, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, Again, my name is Michael at the RPG Academy on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+. Anywhere you search RPG Academy, if something comes up, it's probably me, including my new gamer tag. So if you're on Xbox... And you want to play games with me, even though I don't play very much multiplayer. I pretty much play stuff on myself. But if I'm in the mood, you can find me RPG Academy, which which makes me mad. Let me tell you about this, okay? So for years, I had a gamer tag that was at home player, which I thought was clever as all get out. I think it's just, it's hilarious. It's funny. I loved it. Okay. Somehow in trans, because I let my Xbox Gold, you know, subscription lapse six years ago, whatever. So I had to redo everything. I didn't know where anything was. So I wasn't mm-hmm. able to get that thing back. So I picked the RPG Academy and it seemed to work. But then when I went into the Xbox, it, it didn't change. So I went back to try it again. And then it said the RPG Academy was taken apparently by me, but I was caught somewhere in the middle. So my tag is RPG Academy, mm. but not the RPG Academy, but you, you lose go. branding points on that. I know it's so aggravating. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm on Xbox at Tanta Claus. If you want to play games with me, I usually play single player games, but if you see me online, feel free to fire in. I'll so play something with you. I mean, let's play Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I called dibs on Deadpool. I'll be. Uh, did you ever play the old X Men arcade game with six players? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like the actual arcade game? Yeah. 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 I always liked playing as Colossus because you could just press a button and he just screams and stops the entire game for everybody else. <laughs> uh, that's what that's that's what I'll pick up in Ultimate Alliance. Yeah. I uh, my main character is Captain America and I I've given him every upgrade. So like every, you know, strike point, body point. So he's inhuman. He's stronger than the Hulk. Um but Deadpool is actually the best for killing bosses cuz he mm. has the thing where he pulls out the gun and he just shoots. Like you get the other three around the bad guy and he just goes and he'll kill just about anything in a couple seconds. So, oh uh, yeah. So um, stay tuned for more hot tips and game advice for Marvel Ultimate Alliance. <laughs> yes. Uh, it looks like New York Tater said he just signed up uh, for patron support. I think he means for us since it's called sophomore. That's, uh, you know, our, our thing, the Academy. Uh, yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. That's really appreciative. I appreciate it. Uh, Target says good night. Uh, can't recommend monitor, Monster Hunter World enough. I'm converted. Alrighty. Thanks so much, guys, for uh, tuning in, and we will catch you next time. Yep. Thanks. Awkward wave out. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. 
We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.